This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. We are here today in the heart of the city, in Lovelock's Cafe, down by the entrance to the Birkenhead Tunnel, if you want to come and check it out. So if you're listening to this and you hear a few things a little bit different on the podcast today, we are in a live environment. There are people clunking away and baristas making the coffee, but I am joined by Chris Beasley to have a chat about all things Everton. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Matt. And I say it's a lovely uh, scenario here for us. The a new setting, uh, a new look, very very formal um, here. But no, we'll try and keep it um, relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. Very serious interviews. I feel like a, a politician is going to ask you some serious questions about the state of things at the moment. But uh, we are here to talk about the Blues. And just a reminder, if you are listening to this and you want to see this set up, uh, do come over to our YouTube page. Do go over to the Facebook page. If you want to check out the podcast or consume the podcast in a different way um, but Chris it's it's a quiet time of the year I think as it always tends to be early July when it comes to football players not quite back at pre-season transfer window only just opened uh, but there's a few things we can chat about when it, when it comes to Everton uh, on and off the pitch uh, on the pitch probably the biggest news well the biggest news of the week is that Everton uh, signed the captain up for an year in the in Seamus Coleman I think there were some small fears towards the end of the last season when he got that injury and was famously now stretched off and encouraged the team that it might, we might see in Seamus in an Everton share for the last time and obviously there's a situation with his contract and it didn't sort of come about straight away uh, but it's done now and you've got to say it, you know looking at it in isolation look at the way Seamus played last season it's it's a positive move from the football club isn't it? Definitely I mean so on so many elements um, on and off the pitch um, Seamus Coleman just such a massive um, figure for Everton um, yeah he's at the uh, the tail end of, of his career I know Carlo Ancelotti said he might be able to play on until he was 40 perhaps in Serie A I'm not too sure in the Premier League but that's a measure of the man isn't it he's still got plenty in the tank what I thought was actually telling was at the end of each season we tot up the, the player ratings from every uh, Echo game obviously we mark each player out of 10 at each uh, game I mean it's the, it's the bane of our lives in many respects because uh, it's not always universal um, agreement on those numbers from um, either players or fans alike but yeah it was telling that Seamus Coleman I think was actually um, the highest rated outfield player so I think uh, jo- John Pickford got the highest average mark I think that the, the players who'd uh, played a lot you know as obviously players who played a couple of games got higher marks but yeah if Pickford was number one in more than one respect um, Seamus Coleman was, was second after him and it was a big improvement on the year before where he struggled at times so yeah return to form for Coleman I mean it's, it's good and bad in the fact that you know, Nathan Patterson's been brought in he is the long term successor and the future of that position for Everton but Seamus Coleman they said not just the leader and I'll go on to that in a second but you know those performances have justified that it was a return to form crucial goal of course against Leeds United and, and, he, and he meant it of course he meant it um, from that tight angle Marco Van Basten-esque but yeah we talk about Coleman the man Frank Lampard has said last year um, the greatest man I've ever met or some, some words to those effects uh, after Everton stayed up against Crystal Palace and it's not just platitudes you hear it from all of the squad he's just such a, a leader and he sort of bridges that gap because he's the last of the David Moyes era players and sort of that generational gap within the dressing room such an inspirational character and it, yeah it's, it's one of those you call a no-brainer you know getting in for the, the extra year I mean, it can only be good things for Everton yeah I think for, for me it's I think leadership sometimes is something that's maybe talked about a bit too much and like, exaggerated a bit too much in football but I think in Coleman's case, it is so important to Everton because 
I feel like if you look at every other aspect of the club at the moment, be it what's going on in the boardroom, what's happened with managers in recent years, the rest of the squad, it's just been in like such a constant state of flux, hasn't it? And everyone's been changing. There's been new faces everywhere. And I feel like you need to have at least one solitary thread of consistency going throughout the entire football club. And, and Coleman has, has been able to provide that, hasn't he? And you saw that late last season where he was on the bench cheering the team on. I think you know, the, the manager confirmed and other players confirmed that he was in the dressing room and around Finch Farm, cheering the players up, showing people what it means. And I suppose at the time when the club has sort of lost a little bit of, of its identity, certainly, you know, it's positive identity, having someone who can sort of remind the players what it was like when he first came into the team and Everton were good and do things well, that's got to be dead important, hasn't it, to have around. Yeah, I just wish there was a Seamus Coleman who was 15 years younger, and I mean, that'd be, uh, that'd be incredible. But yeah, like you say, that um, patchwork's quilt of a squad if we're being kind or a Frankenstein's monster of a squad if we're not being so kind that Evan have got from all those different managers with vastly different football and philosophies has been created and I think that's a big part of the problem that they don't have that consistency just a couple of uh, um, <laughs> visitors to the cafe on the way there but yeah uh, uh, he does um, sort of bridge that gap in time wise between you know, the David Moyes era and sort of the differences between then and now in that Moyes was there for over 11 years and you had that consistency he was one of those players who came in who had those values of course the, the famous 60 um, grand fee and it's taken from Sligo Rovers plucked from the, the Irish League and you know it didn't come straight away so he was loaned out to Blackpool in those early days and very much you know a rough diamond who, who needed polishing up but yeah what, what a player he's been and um, all the players all his teammates say that I remember speaking to Alex Awobi ahead uh, of the last game of the season the survival showdown against Bournemouth he says oh trust me Seamus Coleman will be there he'll be in the dressing room he'll be say he'll have words to say and that is just such a big thing because you know there are sort of question marks about the character in this Everton squad and it's not just this one it goes back to I think when Marco Silva was there the last five years people said are the characters in there Fabian Delft being and gone we all know what he was like but fortunately he was never on the pitch enough but yeah Seamus Coleman uh, uh, he's, he's a um, great fellow on and off the, the pitch and it would be I'd hope to think when he, he, the time comes when he does hang up his boots that you know he'd be the one of the ones like Leighton Baines is now who would stick around and, and be in, still at the club in some capacity as, as a player as well you know you mentioned there about you know what he's been able to, to do on the pitch and, and, and being honest mate like when he, when he first came through and like the player he was and you think about you know starting off as a winger and then becoming this sort of raid and right back who'd score goals who'd make goals and I think when you looked at him at his, at his best and you'd probably go to that first season under Martin as one where you say that was like peak Seamus Coleman I think even at that point when you were talking about how good he was it was always it was always a caveated a little bit by well defensively he's not he's not quite there he's maybe, maybe got a little bit of a weakness there and I think one of the most underrated aspects of his game is that as he's got to this age, he's obviously had a lot of serious injuries, hasn't he? He can't do those long busting runs as much anymore. But he's he's got that intelligence to think that maybe not not people thought he necessarily had when he first came through, that he's been able to develop his de- defensive game so well. And I think right now at a stage where Everton have got a manager in Sean Dyche, who, let's be honest, is not going to say to his fullbacks, charge up the pitch whenever you can, lads. It feels like for the, the player he's become and adapted to, he's got the right manager that can sort of prolong him and, and, and help him through this next year. Yeah, I think Sean Dyche has all Everton managers, but nothing but um, full of praise for Seamus. And that was one of the things that he said. He said that the, for him, the age wasn't an issue. It's all whether he had that hunger, and he did have that hunger. But as you say, Matt, um, 
his game has evolved it's matured he, it, yeah you mentioned that season under Martinez I think that was his year that he could get something like seven goals or something like on that on the PFA team of the year yeah. that season as well he really was you know the best right back in the, in the Premier League at that point of his career and um, he sort of re- revolutionised the position at Everton because obviously before him you had Tony Hibbert great one club man and uh, uh, respected Ever- Evertonian but you know a famously never scored a goal and uh, other than his, his testimonial against AK Athens but um, yeah so Shane Seamus revolutionised that position, but as you said, as he's got older, he, you know that defensive side of the game. Uh, although I do remember, he's, I think it was the first game after his double leg break when he came back at Leicester. He had that mad run in the last minute, almost like oh, I'll show you, I can still do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he, he's, he's he's very clever. I remember, I think when. Um, Crystal Palace were at Goodison last season playing like Zahar was like it's in his pocket this afternoon you know all, all afternoon he was you know there's a lot of occasions like that where you know he come up against you know the supposed danger men and he, he keep them quiet so yeah it, it, his game has evolved and it has changed and uh, uh, matured I'd say you know he's making the most of where he's at now maybe he's not quite had those levels of getting forward but he's you know really canny and uh, off the ball and uh, sort of have opposition wingers where he wants them yeah uh, still the best fullback of the football club what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's damning, isn't it? It is, but um, I mean, you could say that in many aspects. Um, Patterson's work in progress, uh, um, of course, um, he can do things maybe that Seamus can't do so much now, more like young Seamus, uh, I guess. Um, um, Vitaly Mikalenko on the other side. Um, struggled at, at times and we know even when Mikalenko's not been there he's had to play players who aren't naturally left back in, that, in those positions Godfrey and uh, Mason Holgate have had chasings at various um, points so yeah it's definitely a, a, a case to say that and I don't know quite know what that, that tells you about Everton but yeah yeah and just, just before we move on to talk about the stadium you, know, you mentioned Nathan Parson there and it feels like by virtue of keeping Seamus around for, for a year and listen he may go on and have another year or two after this you, you wouldn't put it past him but you know we are coming towards the end of Seamus Coleman as a player you know we, we can't deny that it feels like for Nathan Patterson not only to try and overcome Seamus Coleman and get in the team ahead of him but to have someone around like that to be able to tap into their influence on a, on a day-to-day basis on a regular basis that's going to be dead important for him isn't it because at some point be it next summer summer after you'd like to think the reins going to be handed over to him and he's sort of going to be out there on his own and, and having to do it and you know as, as a player he's shown a lot of promise but I think stuff like in terms of fitness and application and making sure you get all that sort of stuff right he, he couldn't have a better example there on a day to day could he? Yeah I mean one of the shame, things that Seamus has attributed to his, his longevity is that he just gives absolutely everything in training every day you know it's not like he's going through the motions some players sort of come to live on a Saturday on a match day and sort of don't really like training Seamus gives it everything and you know he he comes in he knows Nathan Patterson and quite a few who come before Patterson are there to try and take his place ultimately and then he says you know you're not going to have an, e- an easy ride you know I'll, I'll keep fighting I'll keep going as as long as I can so I hope that Patterson can learn from from that I mean does it big concern at the moment with Patterson is the injuries you know given that he's such a young man the amount of injuries he's had since he's come to the football club so that's a concern but you'd have to hope he can only learn for having Seamus next to him because that's the that's sort of like the frustration with Mikalenko on the of the other flank because okay he didn't have a a, a current player there as, as a mentor but the fact that at the start of last season you had both Leighton Baines and Ashley Cole possibly the two best left backs possibly certainly the two best English left backs you've ever had in, in the Premier League and the fact that he hasn't quite kicked on the, the way the way they liked him to have done so that's a big concern but yeah you'd have to hope that Patson can only learn from having Seamus there so not just as a player but as an example as a professional 
yeah, certainly good news that this column is going to be around for for another year at least at Everton. But moving on to stuff off the pitch, Chris, and this this has probably been the debate of the week, hasn't it? Um, when it comes to when it comes to Everton, um, following on from um, the club's statements in regards to the stadium and giving everybody an update last week. Um, Put shortly, it was sort of put out there that Everton might have to move from Goodison Park to Bramley Moor midway through a season. Or certainly that that option is, is being explored by the club. And it's something that they haven't really explicitly said before. I think they've sort of said we'd be moving in potentially midway through the 24-25 season. Um, but it's the first time it's really been referenced as pointedly as that. Um, we did a panel piece over the weekend uh, on the Echo website where you asked I think it was myself and Paul Wheelock for our views on it yeah. I sat very much on the fence <laughs> with this so I'm just going to be devil's advocate to your yeah. opinion here when, when we do this discussion but and naturally I think it's it's triggered a lot of emotions hasn't it among the fan base because it is a, a very emotional issue for a lot of people yeah de- definitely this has been um, going on for years and years it's been going on for a generation at least um, talking about um, ever moving stadiums when, when I was about 16 and uh I'll be 44 in August and um, yeah this has literally been going on a generation and uh, obviously um, there was Peter Johnson's original um, move which never really sort of specified where they were going to then there was the other waterside project um, at King's Dock which is obviously now the arena and then the hugely controversial destination Kirby so all those have been and gone for various different reasons and now it's you know it's finally coming to fruition we can see the stadium Certainly where, where I am in New Brighton often I like to go for a, a run in the morning and look across it. You know, it's the biggest thing I can see in, in the city, certainly because of its prominent position. You know, it, it, it dominates the skyline. So we can all see it there and there's, you know, that tangible excitement of when the, the, the moment will come. But I imagine all Evertonians, whatever your view is on this, whether they should move straight away or not, if it's a mid-season move, I'm sure we all envisaged a move at the start of the season nice and um, um, straightforward and um, sort of slick and uh, um, what's the word I'm, I'm, I'm searching for um, sort of uh, neat neat a, a neat transition <laughs> maybe that was a bit too much to, to ask for but no uh, obviously when most clubs move to a new stadium you finish one season in one stadium and you move on to the new stadium at the start of the next season and that's what we all thought we all imagined the last you know the farewell to the grand old lady Goodison Park would be in May final game of the season hopefully not having to to win to to secure their status and uh, you move in in the following August um, to the dock Um, but as um, Colin Chong has, has pointed out I mean it's something that the club I've sort of muted, to be fair, for, for about 15 months at least now. I remember a financial briefing ahead of last year's accounts coming out and it was sort of informally said at the time that, you know, look, it's not necessarily going to be day one of season 24-25. And to be fair, the club have, you know, I've been saying that for, for, for a long time now, but for the first time now, Colin Chong has come forward and obviously he's not just the main man with the stadium now, he's um, in that interim role as, as chief executive and has said that there were to the effect of the, the final months of, of 2024. So the, the possibility is distinctly there for a mid-season move. Um, I understand and have known for, well, I've understood for a number of months now that Lango Rock are working to a timetable which would be December 2024. So we're, we're looking, and remember the club have got to get through another winter yet, and to be fair, the project hasn't been hampered adversely by the elements as of yet. But, you know, if everything goes to plan, and they are going to plan, it is everything is 
going to schedule that you're basically talking about halfway through the season so what do you get with that do you do you go straight away and a lot of people think that's an economic reality but then a lot of people have said not just an emotional issue a logistical issue moving mid-season as well or do you wait to the start of the 2025 26 I'm just trying to make sure I get my, my dates right with this one yeah but for, for me, I'd, like everyone, I envisaged a, a start of the season move at first, and that was the ideal scenario, I'm sure, for absolutely everybody. But I just don't know how... If, say, I mean, fairly, there could be more delays, and if it gets pushed back further towards the end of the season, well, they might go, well, I may as well wait now to the end of the season. But I just don't see how you sit on a project. A, a, a project's costing over half a billion pounds for up to eight months. I just don't see from an economic point of view how the money men at the club would, would allow that to happen. I don't know about your thoughts, Matt. I know, like you said, you did sit on the fence, but yeah, I don't sh kind of know how that happens. It is really tricky, isn't it? Because there's so much to factor into this. And, and I think... I think everybody is, as this, the day comes closer that we're going to leave Goodison, I think everybody in their head has got their own idyllic final day at Goodison. Haven't they? You know, in that piece we wrote, I sort of put mine down as a Everton winning the football match, obviously not potentially being, trying to avoid relegation like the last day of the season. I know it's a big ask. You know, a nice summer's day, nobody being in the ground afterwards. I'm sure the club would do something, something lovely and, and, and give Goodison a great send-off, you know, ambling around and speaking to the people you've sat next to for years and years and years and then going off to the summer and having some time to sort of prepare yourself, you know, mentally and into going into a new place because it, it is going to be a, a, a strain on a lot of people I'm sure a lot of people are going to be devastated walking off that ground for the final time and I think the idea of doing all of that I just said in December and then so we've got a midweek game on the Wednesday and it's at night time and just being in that ground like, and it's the same players it's the, you know the same manager the same same kit it's not like a new season it just feels like it feels really abrupt and you know I, I completely agree with what you've said in regards to the the financial aspect of it because let's say Everton finish that season um, in a similar position to what we are now say like say we finish like 14th 15th and then you're going into that next season and you've got an extra 5 million and this you know this, this is an arbitrary number I don't know how much Everton would make from the stadium but say Everton get 5 million from more more money from having 10 games at that new ground and then that in turn allows us to put money towards a transfer which would in turn help us stay in the Premier League the season after it's like well how do you, do you turn the, that, that opportunity down as well and that's where I think it, it, it gets really difficult and I think ultimately it depends what you, you take from your, your football and how you consume your football you know are, are you about the emotions and and the feelings and, and all that kind of thing that, that leaving Goodison Park will engender in a lot of people or is it about results players thinking thinking brutally so I think that's sort of where I, I you know I, I'm sort of in the middle on where I consume me football which is why I'm sort yeah. of in the middle on this decision if you get what yeah. I mean yeah I mean it, it is, it's a tough one because like you say we we'll say about the two elements in it, it is the, the emotional one first of all and and, and the club have stressed this now you know, fans are likely to be consulted, but you know it won't. It's not going to be a, a, um, a plebiscite to the fans. I, I, don't, I don't. Fans won't be having the final say on this. They will, they will be in the in the discussion. They'll be part of that. But I think anything like at a football club, ultimately, it's got to be those at the top who are making decision, and the, and the club have stressed that to 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 us. But from yeah, an emotional. It's it's strange because nearly all stadium moves are like that I think it's only off the top of my head Tottenham Hotspur is the only one that um, I mean there will be other examples I guess but it's the only one I certainly in the, in the Premier League 
So they've set a precedent. It can be done. I know Gavin Buckland often joins us for these these um, podcasts, and he's talked about the almost like the, the ethical element in terms of to have that. Um, that fairness of you play every team at home and every team away and it's the same ground I mean that comes into it I mean but like I say Tottenham have set that precedent where it's been done once before anyway so it's not like Evan would be the first in this respect but yeah like you say the, the emotional goodbyes to, to, to Goodison Park which is the first purpose built football ground in, in England um, stage more top flight matches than any other I mean we could l- go on about you know the list of great events that's, that's gone on there and, then it, and for, for, for both of us and thousands more it, it's, it's the place where most of our footballing lives have been, have been spent so yeah you, you can't be flippant about and uh, just say oh like turn the lights off now I say see you at Bramley Moor next week um so yeah, they did. but I guess it, uh, the big thing with this is becoming is coming from what the work schedule is because if you had a work schedule which was the club are insisting that there hasn't been any delays and I know they they've um, been very vehement in talking about reports who have denied that say that oh, this isn't where it should be by this stage and point, pointed out facts that other parts of the projects are actually further along than they were on on earlier plans so it's just like it's like I said it certainly looks decent from from where I can see it so you know it's, it's well on its way to be becoming a football stadium and certainly I think by the end of this year most of the external side of the, the ground the skeleton will be done it'll actually be the internal fittings it'll over the last months of the project so that's all good but if you if you are looking to to a build that go a timetable that works to a mid-season i think that's that's the the issue which is is called all of this if everything was going to be ready for like may june and it remains on schedule as we're we're told well we'd be okay with this but it's the fact that as we understand that that, that, that the timetable actually goes to december so i guess this was always going to cause an issue like that yeah it's december's a bit of a nightmare time to finish when it comes to this discussion point isn't it because like you said if if there's five games or four games to go you probably say well let's just wait there's 10 11 games left towards the end of the season that's where it gets a bit tricky but i think i think you mentioned tottenham there and their move and i think they're really interested on this from a, a couple of perspectives because their last full season at White Hart Lane which obviously they went and played at Wembley for a year and a half didn't they after that their last full season at White Hart Lane I think because everybody knew what it was and how important it was they were amazing there that year weren't they I, I, don't, think they, I don't think they lost a game all year they were absolutely fantastic and, the, and I remember going to when Everton played them in the last game and the atmosphere was absolutely incredible because I feel like everybody in that ground was just harnessing the energy and you know, it, it was the last time they played Everton. It might, you know, the week after it might be the last time they played Arsenal, the last night game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you had all these little milestones for them to tick off, and the team really, you know, sees that and went on an amazing run. And I think they, they finished in the Champions League for places for the first time in a while. And I think, you know, it would be nice to Everton to have that, where you know it's going to be a full season. But on the flip side, the other thing with Tottenham, which I think is scaring a lot of people, is what you what you've just said there, in a sense that. It was quite clear after they had their first season at Wembley that it was going to take a bit of time for them to move into the ground again. So they started that season. And I don't know if people remember, but they were getting updates pretty much every week, weren't they, saying the next game's going to be at Wembley, by the way. And the stadium's been a bit further down the line. And I think, I think that that is probably scarring a lot of our fans in the sense that if you said, right, we're going to move in mid-season. And then all of a sudden it might be a case of, well, actually, there's been a bit of an extra delay. So we're going to, we're going to kick this down the road a little bit more. And I think something like that, you know, it wouldn't take the shine off it completely, but it'd just be like, 
it's a bit annoying this I think I think that you know from what I've seen and speaking to people that's that's a fear of a lot of fans that it could get a bit like that where you you're living week to week not knowing yeah. what grounds you're going to be playing your football on. yeah that's, that's anyway at Premier League level that's, that's not good is it on a, on a week to week basis I guess maybe um, we get a clearer idea um, next year because like we've got what like we're saying one more winter to get through and see how it goes how that one goes I mean I mean I'm sure Everton don't want this but if a, a harsh winter coming up now could actually eradicate this issue because if it does delay things and then you go oh well we'll push through for wait till 25 26 now but yeah like you say I suppose the t- difference with Tottenham like you say was that they had that Wembley in between it wasn't because obviously it was being built on the same site and by the way I I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, a very lengthy behind-the-scenes tour of Tottenham's new stadium about 18 months ago with uh, a great fella, um, John Jackson. He was called Lifelong Tottenham Fan, and we, we were there for hours, and uh, it was terrific. And it's very exciting. I know Dan Meese has said that um, what is it, is he, he's, he's building a, a Ferrari, uh, not a Bentley, in terms of Everton's new stadium won't be as plush as Tottenham Hotspurs, which is kind of like a sort of shiny hotel from, from, from the, the outside you know and it's, in, and it's in London and they've got their clientele I mean Everton's is going to have a, a much better setting on, on the waterfront but it'll be more of a practical building but that's going to be like the closest example you've got to what Everton's new stadium is going to be like and it's really exciting to be in there so far superior than the first generation of new stadiums like, I, I, I mean Arsenal won't like it but the Emirates are about a very similar size but you know that that were built like 15 years ago or so now more ball like further back from the pitch Tottenham's is tight it, you know uh, that, that, the sheer the, the, the gradient of the stands that's going to be more like what we're, we're going to see uh, uh, Everton and it's exciting to be and I've been I've been to a couple of games uh, now uh, not great results for Everton but um, yeah just as a facility you know it's exciting to think that Everton and have something very similar to that but yeah um, it's an issue it's definitely out there you know, and it's and it's not going to go away and I've got a piece coming up uh, Evertonians you know it's certainly not emphatic one way or the other in, in people's views on this yeah, tough decision for, for the club to make when that eventually does come round if it does stay to schedule. Um, but we will finish by talking about on-pitch stuff, mate. Uh, Everton, they're going to be back at Finch Farm this week. You've done a piece today sort of outlining the, the schedule and how, how it's all going to go. Um, so just for listeners who are who are missing the Blues and are desperate to see them back again and see all those lovely pre-season videos. Of the, I mean, there's going to be loads of bleep tests with Sean Dyche, you'd imagine, and stuff like that. So we're going to be in for all that. When, when can we expect all that? When are they going to be back? Yeah, they're back... Later this week, I understand most of the players are back on Thursday. Um, players been on international duty; they might come back a bit later, as often is the case. And like you say, the first day is the old the, the, the test, isn't it? The body fat, the heart tests, all that. But I'm sure, say now that Sean Dyche is is in situ, a lot of the supporters are looking forward to uh, to actually next week when they go to their Alpine training base and uh, the infamous Gaffer's Day that uh, we've heard so much about from his time at Burnley, which is basically the first day of the pre-season training. Doesn't even get the footballs out for that one. Um, he beasts the players. He makes sure that and makes all for the it's all for their benefit and it's for for our benefit um, as those of us who uh, want to see Everton do well. And um, yeah, it's it's an intense, it's a grueling workout, and it helps build that fitness base for the for the rest of the season. And uh, I'm sure um, a lot of Evertonians want to see that with with the players. Obviously, there's 
issues with fitness we talked about it the full backs there Patterson and Coleman both had their fair share of injuries last season Everton went into their survival showdown without a, either a recognised full back in, in the side or Dominic Calvert-Lewin their, their main striker and again Calvert-Lewin two seasons on the bounce now he's played less than half the matches for Everton and uh, when Deitch came into the job he talked about getting him um, properly fit or whatever the phrase was he actually used talking about I would leave no one stone unturned in terms of looking at his lifestyle, his diet, how many hours he sleeps, what kind of bed, what mattress he has, etc. And, you know, we, we, we're all, you know, all joking apart. We just want to see a fit and fly in Dominic Calvin-Lewin and the same with the rest of the players and hopefully and a lot fewer days off through, through injury next season. So, yeah, the, the players are back later this week. I understand most of them on the Thursday. And like we say, we've got next week, it's off to uh, the, the Alps and the, the game that they, they've got in and Neon a week on Friday. Yeah. I mean, you're going out to Switzerland to, to cover the games. Um, surely you've asked the question, can you take part in Gaffer's Day and see what it's all about? <laughs> I mean, surely, surely that's going to be uh, on the cards. Keen, yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I'm actually going, to, I'm actually going to, to Switzerland because my colleague Joe Thomas has, has um, broken his ankle playing football. Um, yeah, if, if only to, I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it, to get some access. I'd, 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 I'm not too sure um, how many I'd be keeping up with. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's saying more about them than me. If, uh, if it was like, I don't know, I won't name names. If it was, if it was lapping somebody, yeah, but uh, no, uh, I think those days are behind me. But yeah, if, if, if the invite was there, I could do my own little mini version of it, perhaps. Oh, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to ask Sean about that. But, um, but no, Chris is over in Switzerland covering all the Everton's pre-season stuff next week. Uh, so do keep an eye on the Echo website and all our socials for that. Um, cheers for listening or watching today. Uh, thankfully, no pesky red is coming. Rip this shirt down here in Lovelock's Cafe. Chris, you brought this one in today. It's from the 93 to 95. So yeah. I should probably explain for people who are listening to this. We've got an Everton shirt hanging in the background here on video. Um, it's from the 93, 95 season. Yeah, back when you used to have the shirts for two years. Um, yeah, it's almost as old as you, that, Matt. Um, yeah, it still fits me. I'm, I'm actually... Um, playing a game this afternoon and I'll be I'll, I'll be putting that one on uh, rolling back the airs but yeah the fond memories of that one it was a, well I say mix, actually mixed memories because it was actually worn for both the, the Wimbledon uh, 94 game the first great escape and then they wore it on the cup run uh, Joe Rawls Dogs of War all the way through to Wembley and of course the Tottenham Hotspur semi-final 4-1 at, at Ellen Road so yeah it, it stood the test of time and uh, hopefully um, and we have um, more memories like, like that in the future the better ones um, at least and um, yeah they're, 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 it's, uh, it's, it's, it looks nice up there yeah, doesn't it I'm a, fan. I'm a fan of that one yeah I'm sure we'll get a few more different ones as, as we go on with this this video format but I uh, hope you've enjoyed it if you watch us on Facebook or YouTube cheers for tuning in that has been your Royal Blue Podcast We'll speak to you again very soon here at the Liverpool Echo. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.